Father, um, man, you are good. As that song said, we are, we are solely living by grace alone. Now would your grace be made known to us as we go through your word. I thank you for your grace just in the gathered church that we get to be together, Father, and just for your son. So thank you. Would you be here tonight? Would you guide our hearts and our minds? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. My name is Andrew Rutten. Um, if you have not yet, uh, will you turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 3? As Lindsay just read, we're going to camp out there starting in verse 12. Uh, so Colossians 3 verse 12 is where we'll be to begin. Um, but since we kind of had spring break uh, last week, it feels like we haven't seen, or I feel like I haven't seen you guys in a little while. And so uh, I just want to kind of reorient us around again where we've been so far in Colossians, just to get our minds wrapped around where we're going so that we can finish this book well over the last few weeks. So uh, if you have been here this semester, you know that uh, what we've been doing is we've looked at Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, which is the book of Colossians that we have. And what we've said is that Paul's aim in the first couple chapters is for the Colossians to really see Jesus as supreme, that he would be uh, their supreme way, the truth, the life, that they wouldn't get swayed by uh, the world's philosophies and swayed by other things, but that they would truly see and understand Christ as supreme. And now, as we got into chapter 3, we're starting to see a swing here, and now we're starting to look at, okay, if that's true, if, if that you actually believe that, as we as Christians, if that's real to us, that Jesus is actually supreme, that He is God, He is sufficient, He is our all, then that naturally has to change how we live, that the way that we act, the things that we do change if Jesus is supreme. And so we've looked at chapter 3 so far to say, man, if you've been raised with Christ, if, if you're a Christian, then that should change how you live. It says seek the things above, seek the things of God. If your life is hidden in Christ, then your life should be marked by Christ. And so two weeks ago, Austin was preaching, and what we did was we looked through um, the old self, and so Paul said, hey, there's two self, there's the old self, you marked in sin, and then there's the new life, the new self given in Christ. And what we saw was this imagery of clothing. And what Paul was saying is, hey, put off your old clothes. It was symbolic for the unrighteousness of ourselves. All right? That we have this picture of filthy garments, that in our sin, all of us are covered in filthy garments. What Paul is saying is that if you've been raised with Christ, that is no longer your identity. The, the sin that used to define you no longer defines you. And so last week we said, hey, put these things to death. Sexual immorality, impurity, slander, obscene talk, wrath, all this stuff. He said, Man, put that to death. That is not you anymore. So, then what? Right? So if we put that to death, then what? And Paul in this section is going to say, now, here's what you need to become. If that's not you anymore, the old self, the old garment of your own unrighteousness, if that's not you, and you've been given new garments in Christ, new clothing in Christ, then what do we do? As Christians, as the Christian community, as the church, how do we live? How do we function? What does this look like? If we were saved from our sin, what are we saved to? And that's what we're going to get in tonight's passage. So here's my, my kind of big idea. If you're a note taker, put this down. This is my big thing that I want us to, to wrestle with tonight. Is I think in this passage, Paul is going to tell us that you were chosen by God to display God 
within the people of God. Okay, You were chosen by God to display God within the people of God. What he's going to say is, hey, you were chosen by God to become like God amongst the people of God. Yeah, that'd be great, Miguel. Thanks, buddy. Um, so, that's where we're headed tonight. If you want, look in verse 12 with me as we begin. So, chapter 3, verse 12. I'm just going to read the very first phrase to talk about how we were chosen by God. So, just the first phrase in verse 12. Paul writes, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Okay, so this is how he starts this section. So remember, the last section was, hey, put to death the things of the body. Put to death your old garments. That no longer defines you. And now he says, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. In the Greek, the, the format actually better structures because of you are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, then put on. And so what Paul's going to do here in this section is he's going to say, hey, here's the things that I want you to do. I told you what I didn't want you to do. Now you need to put these things on. And this idea of putting on is similar to the idea of of clothing, right? So he's saying, take off your old clothes and put on your new clothes. And what he's saying with that is is what you guys see in us, right, is is our clothing. What we're marked by, how you guys view me is by my clothing. What he's going to say is there's going to be some things that the, the people of God in the world need to see about you. When they look at you, just like when you look at me, you see my shirt, my pants, my shoes, right? There's things that the world, when they look in, they should see about you. You should be clothed in something. You should be marked by something. When they see you, they should notice a few things. But the beauty of what Paul does here is he doesn't just go into, hey, here's your to-do list. Here's the, here's the seven things I want you to do. What he does first is he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. You see, before Paul tells you what he wants you to do, he wants to remind you who you are. He says, before I'm going to tell you how to live, you need to know how you got life in the first place. To do this correctly, to live the Christian life rightly, you need to first remember and understand why you became a Christian. To get the life application, you need to understand the foundation of how you have life. And so what does he say? What is our identity? Who are we Christians? He says we are God's chosen ones. We are holy and beloved. And so in this this very small phrase, just a matter of a few words, what Paul does is he speaks to this uh, biblical theme that is much larger than even this phrase. What he does here is he gets to the the idea of how we are saved. He points us back to our identity and how we first found salvation. What he's going back to is not that you were righteous enough in and of yourself. He's pointing back to saying, the reason that you're a Christian, the reason you can do any of these things, is because you are God's chosen ones. You are holy. It means you're set apart. And you are loved. So what Paul's saying here is, hey, Christian, remember where you came from. Before you think doing good works is going to get you anywhere in your status before God, you need to remember where you came from. Non-Christian, before you keep working your fingers down to the bone, as that song said, to try and get to God, he wants to remind you 
This is how you actually get to God. And what he says is, the reality is Christians are Christians. We are saved solely because God chose to love us and set us apart. And this is a theme that we see throughout the Bible. You can go look in the Old Testament, even from Genesis, God chooses. We see that he chose specifically Noah to save in the flood. You see in the twins uh, of Jacob and Esau, he says, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. He, you go on, you see he chose Israel not because of what they could do for God, but because they were the weakest ones. He chose David as his rightful king. You go on and on. You go into the New Testament. And even Paul, the writer of Colossians, says in Galatians 1, he says, before I was born, I was set apart for God. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5 says, before the foundations of the world were laid, before Genesis 1, he says, God chose to adopt you as sons and daughters. God chose to love you before the foundations of the world. 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul writes, hey, if, if the gospel saves you, it's solely because God chose to have the power of God work in you. And you can go all the way to Revelation, Genesis to Revelation. And Revelation says, hey, the Lamb's book of life was written before the foundations of the world, and your name was on that. Those who would be saved, us Christians, the people of God, your name was written before the foundation of the world. God, before anything, before you did anything, chose to love you, chose to save you. And this is a marvelous truth because it's pointing to the fact that before you were born, before anyone was born, God's plan A was that Jesus would die for you. But before anything happened, God knew you would fall, placed his love upon you, and said, I'm going to send Jesus for you. And what this does for us as a community, what this does for Christians, is this is an incredibly gracious and humbling truth. Because this means then that your Christianity, your salvation, you being a Christian, has no dependence on anything that you did. What Paul's saying is, I'm going to give you the way of the Christian life, but you need to remember that isn't getting you towards God. That isn't getting rid of your unrighteous garments. What this means is you're not a Christian because of your church attendance or because of the lack of your church attendance. You're not a Christian because you are white or because you are black. You're not a Christian because of your body type, your race, your language. You're not a Christian because of where you were born. You're not a Christian because you're from West Omaha or North Omaha. You're not a Christian because of any of these reasons. What Paul's saying is, This really doesn't have anything to do with you. The glorious truth of you becoming a Christian is that God chose to love a sinner like you. This is the reality of the gospel. And Paul's going to say, if you want to live the Christian life, if you want to put on the garments of Christianity, if you want to find the righteousness, what you need to do is not work your way to God, but you need to admit that you're a sinner in need of God. He said, you need to remember who you are. Before I tell you how to live, you need to remember how you found life. And it's not through your good works. It is that you are chosen, loved, and holy, set apart. And so what this means for us Christians is this is a humbling reminder. This is a humbling reminder to say, it doesn't matter your last name. It doesn't matter where you grew up. It doesn't matter all the things that you've done What matters is that Jesus saved you. What matters is that God had grace on a sinner like you. And for non-Christians, this is a glorious truth for you because this means that you don't have to try to work your way up the mountain to God. This means 
that what you have to do is admit that you can't climb the mountain. But what this means is that you can find the grace and the truth of Christ not in working towards Him and in scrubbing off your sins of the past. It doesn't mean that your sins have made you go too far. It doesn't mean that you can't be loved. What this means is that God can actually love you. That God can actually save you. That even if you feel like you were born with the wrong skin color, even if you feel like you were born and you've lived too far from God, or even if you feel like you're good because you've grown up in church, what Paul's reminding us is the Christian life is not entered into by you. It's entered into through the blood of Christ. And so um, let, me, let me have you think about it this way. Um, it was about two and a half years ago. I, uh, I, I have a friend who uh, lived in New York at the time, and he played in the NFL for the New York Giants. And he, he talked to me, and he's like, hey, why don't you and a buddy come out? We have a Monday night game. They were playing Minnesota, which is my favorite team. And so I was like, dude, this is awesome. So, so we fly out there. We're there, and it's awesome. We're there Sunday. Monday, went to the game. Tuesday, we're about to leave on Wednesday. So Tuesday comes, and he tells me, he's like, hey, by the way, I forgot to say, but there's this event tonight that I was invited to go to, and I want to bring you and your friend. I was like, okay, like, this is great. He's an NFL player. I was like, this is, this is going to be fun. So I was like, sure, yeah, what do, like, let's do it. And he's like, so did you bring your suit? And I was like, dude, I'm like 22. I maybe own a suit. Like, I, I didn't bring it on a three-day vacation. And so I was like, sorry, like, I don't have a suit. And, uh, and he was like, yeah, and it's also invite only. I'm like, okay, well, this is, this is not good for me then. I don't have a suit, and my name is definitely not on this list to get into this event. And so what it was, but it's, it's like this Reebok fundraiser. And so you have to wear like a nice black suit with tennis shoes, and it's literally invite only. So your name has to be on the list to get into this event. And it's, and it's literally just like athletes, movie stars, like business owners. I was an intern here at City Light making raising support of $20,000, there was, most of the people in that room were making $20 million a year. So I was out of place, but, but he tells me, he's like, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call them, and I'm just going to put you under my name. I said, it should be fine. I'll put you under my name. That should get you in. And, and I know you don't have the right clothing, but, but let's go. I'll buy you and your friend a suit. We can get you all fitted up. You can get the suit on, and then you can come. So I'm like, this is great. So we go. I get my suit. We get all fitted. We get to the event, and immediately we walk up, and they got the clipboard, and they're like, hey, what's your name? I'm like, okay, well, if I say my name, I'm not getting into this. So I literally just name drop. I'm like, I'm with him. You know, I'm like, his, like his name should be on there. And, and he was like, oh, yeah, I vouch for this guy. Like, he's with me. And so in that moment, I got to enter into this event solely because my friend bought me the right clothing, and he put me under his name. And as I get in there, it was literally the most awkward thing right away. As I'm seeing, like, athletes and all these people, and I am just, I'm a very average Midwestern kind of guy, so I did not fit in in this place. And so literally everybody's asking kind of like, who do you know? How'd you get in? Or like, you know, why are you here basically? And uh, most of them were polite and some of them were rude. But they're basically like, how'd you get in? And all night I'm name dropping. I'm like, him? Like, like, I'm here because of him. I even said like, he bought me the suit. Like, I didn't know. I was just like praising this guy. I was like, I'm solely here because of him. And City Like You, we have to remember the truth that you're not approved of by God because of your credentials, your resume, or your dirty clothing. The only way you enter eternal life, the only way you get into the kingdom of God, is if Christ purchased your clothing for you, and if it is solely under your name that you walk in. You see, the reality has to be, if somebody says, well, well why are you a Christian? Jesus. 
Like, it's, it's Jesus. Like, what makes you, why do you get into heaven? Jesus. Like, I'm under the name and the umbrella of Jesus. Are you good enough to get in? Look, I didn't have the clothing. I didn't have the righteousness. And Christ put that white garment on me. He bought me with his life what I needed to get in. And he put me under his name. We see this in Colossians 3, verse 17. It says, whatever you do, everything, your life needs to be marked by the name of Jesus. Everything from beginning to end. We should be a people like me at that event saying, look, I don't know, it's Jesus. Why did he save you? I don't know, it's Jesus. Like, how do you get into heaven? Jesus. Like, that's, we just, we're under the umbrella of his name and we're covered in the clothing of his righteousness. This is how we enter Christianity. This is how we find life. We need the name and the righteousness of Christ. So, if we have this identity, if you've been clothed in righteousness, if you can admit that you are a sinner in need of Christ to enter into eternal life, then then what do we do? What is that for? So as I said before, I would say that you are chosen by God. You're saved and redeemed by God to display God. So let's keep reading in the text. And what I want us to see is, okay, we found our identity. Now what do we do? Right? Paul's going to give us some imperatives, some commands, some things to do, the Christian life. So I'm going to read the whole thing now, starting in verse 12. <clears throat> Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, so here's the list, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So now what we get is Paul's exhortation to the church. So he said, this is your identity. This is how you found life. Now, this is how we should live. This is our purpose. What did God save us to do? What he's going to say here, he says, hey, God chose you, so put on Christ. What he's saying here is, look, if you found life in Christ, live that way. Like, it's as simple as that. We get this whole list that's basically saying, Look, you were saved by Christ, now live in Christ. Display Christ. Become like Christ. You know, as we look at this list, what's interesting is, is that it kind of can seem like just a random big mix of things. But if you look at these, these are some of the main things that marked Jesus' life. As you read through the Gospels, what you see is a man marked by compassion. A man defined by kindness, humility, meekness. A man who would bear with one another. A man who under improbable circumstances would forgive. A man that was bound together by love. A man that had a peace which surpasses all understanding. What we see here and what Paul's trying to get us to see is that to live a Christian life is simply to become more like Christ. If you've been saved by Christ, if you've been made new by Christ, if you've if he's given you the righteousness, your clothing, then live that way. Be defined by these things. Be marked 
by these things. As people look at you, just like you can see my clothing, they should see Christ in you. So see, like you, let me just ask the tough question. How are we doing? How are we doing in displaying Christ to the world? This list, these things, these kind of things, do they define you? Do these characteristics of Jesus characterize you? Is this a, a part of our everyday life? Are these things overflowing? And let me go a level deeper. When you get stressed out, when you get a hit with a trial and some storm, when you kind of just get to the end of your rope and exhausted, is this what comes out? Do these things overflow in those moments? When it's finals week, are you marked by peace and patience? Right, when your coworker blames you for something you didn't do, or your boss comes down on you when it wasn't your fault, do you respond in compassion and forgiveness? When, when a trial comes, when tragedy strikes, do you overflow with thankfulness? When maybe you don't get the accolades, the praise, the noteworthiness that your deeds deserve, when you feel like you need to be noticed and you don't get noticed, do you respond with meekness and humility? I mean, doesn't even those things, don't they just sound crazy? Like to us, to our, our human mind and my heart, as I'm reading through this the last couple of days, I'm thinking, man, that naturally does not define me, right? Like those, those things, when, when tragedy strikes, I get angry. I think I shouldn't be the one who suffers. But when I get wronged, I demand justice, right? When I get blamed for something I didn't do, I make it very well known I did not do it. Right? When, when I do something that I want accolades for and I don't get it, I kind of fish for a compliment to make you see and say that I did well. These things aren't natural in us. Right? We want to shout. I want justice. Like, I didn't deserve this. I don't deserve suffering. You don't understand. Like, my name doesn't deserve to be tracked through the mud. But friends, as I read through this the last two days, my heart was just pounding with what if that wasn't the case for us anymore? As a community of people, when the world says, don't be humble, humble people get just crunched at the bottom, like, like get yours, right? But when the world in our hearts thrive after recognition and fame, but when, when all we want is to be known, when what we want is justice, when we want our reputation and our name highly looked upon, when we want a good reputation, when the world says those are things to go for, what if a community of college students like us weren't defined by that anymore? But what if those things, what if we didn't overflow with self-exaltation and pride and slander and wrath and obscene talk? What if that didn't characterize us? But what if our life modeled Jesus' life? Because you know, it's funny. When Jesus lived, when he was here, he didn't, he didn't exemplify the things of the world. When Jesus was here, he was marked by these things. You know, when Jesus was on the earth, he dealt with hard people. I mean, he had 12 idiot disciples, pompous religious leaders, and wicked sinners around him constantly. And he responded in compassion and spoke in truth. You know, when Jesus was here on earth, those who yelled at him, those who mocked him, 
those who wanted to kill him, when they wouldn't repent and come to God, he didn't say, oh, thank you, I don't have to deal with them. He looked over them and wept for their souls. When Jesus was accused of blaspheming, lying, when he stood in unfair trial, when he was falsely accused, when he was beaten, when he was tortured, when he was treated as a criminal, he stood silent out of love. And when the greatest injustice in all the world, when we think we face injustice, the greatest injustice of all the world, when the innocent one died for the guilty, when the perfect one was treated as wicked, and he hung on the cross, he didn't fight for his rights. He didn't say, this isn't right. I didn't deserve this. He pled for forgiveness. See, like you, what if we began to look a little less like the world and a little more like our Savior? What if our lives began to look less like the things of this world, less like our old self, and what if we began putting on the new self? What if we began in hard times living in this way? What if the overflow of our heart wasn't self-exaltation and pride, but love and forgiveness? What if instead of fighting for our name, we cared a little more about fighting for his name? Scary idea is, what if that's God's call on our life? See, I think it's clear here that he's saying, if you're chosen by God, if you're a Christian, this is your life now. This is your identity. He's not saying some of you are going to be called to love, to forgive, and to be humble. He's saying, if you're a Christian, this is you now. Community, this city like you, this should mark us now. As people look upon us, they should see these things. And I know you can say to me, but Andrew, you don't know what I've been through, right? You don't know how they wronged me. You don't know what they said to me. You don't know how wrong my parents or my teachers are. You don't, you don't know what it's like to have your name trampled through the mud. And I'll tell you, I may not. I may not know. I, I may not know what it's like in your situation. I may not know how they wronged you. I may not know how they hurt you. I may not know what it's like to have my name slandered. But I will tell you this, Jesus does. Jesus felt it. Jesus walked through it. Jesus suffered. Jesus was tortured. Jesus was defamed. Jesus was embarrassed. Jesus was mocked. Jesus was misunderstood. He was falsely accused. I may not know what you're going through, but you need to understand that whatever it is in your mind that you're saying, man, it's right for me not to forgive. It's right for me not to change. It's right for me not to love. Whatever it is that you feel like you need to fight for yourself, you need to hear that Jesus already fought for you. Those things that you're clinging to, Jesus already died to free you from. Jesus already lived a humble life so you could walk in humility. Jesus already forgave so you can now forgive. And because of that reality, these verses are now our reality. This should be the markers of us as Christians. What would it be like if our community, in the midst of a world going in the same direction, was headed in the other direction? What if we modeled Jesus a little bit more than we modeled the world? What would it be like for a community to live that way? Now, let me do this. I, I want to move on to ask the simple question. Every week, I want to not just give us with this idea. I want to always ask the question, how do we do that? 
right? How does that play out? Because my heart doesn't naturally want to put on humility. My heart doesn't naturally want to believe that because Jesus suffered, he's going to enter into my suffering. I don't naturally want to believe that I can give up of my name so that Jesus' name can be exalted. So how does this happen? Well, I think our answer comes in the text and how it's written. Did you notice, as I said in my big idea, you're chosen by God to display God within the people of God. Did you notice in the text, everything's communal. This isn't about, hey, individual Christian, how do you live This is about, hey, church, how do we function? How do we as the church operate? You know, it's really easy to be patient when you don't have a hard person to be patient with, right? Right? Like, it's it's, it's impossible. You can't can't do any of these things unless you're in the community, unless you're with people. You know, it's impossible to grow in these characteristics, to grow like Christ in complete isolation, We can't do it. You can display God best within the people of God. I mean, you can't be compassionate towards someone or something if there's not someone or something to be compassionate towards. You can't self-sacrificially love if there's nobody receiving the love. You can't gather together teaching and admonishing and singing together if you're alone, right? Like, you can't do anything that he's talking about here Unless you do it together, you look at verse 14, it says that love binds things together in harmony. 15 says you were called in one body. 16 says that we should teach, admonish, and sing with all of our hearts together. What Paul is saying here is if you want to grow in Christ, if you want to better resemble Christ, that's going to take the church. That's going to take us as a people living with people. So my call here, what I want us to do is, if you want to grow in love, you can't just read a book about love and think you're an expert. We need to play that out amongst hard people to love. right? If you want to have compassion on something or someone, we need to be seeking out things where our hearts can be drawn in compassion towards. If we want to teach and admonish the Word of God and exhort Christians and build up believers, if we want to use those gifts that God gave us, we can't do that sitting alone in our room. We do that in community. If you want to grow, if you want to develop, if we want to become this type of Christian, this this new identity that we've been given, if we want to grow in that, that has to be done in community. It's why every week we talk about city groups. That's why every week we push you guys, man, come back on Tuesdays. There's something special about when the people of God come to hear the word of God and sing praises to God. There's a special thing in that moment. There's a special growth and development when you're walking with believers. And so, for the sake of time, let me, let me end this way. I want to ask you a couple questions. You can write them down. You can think about them this week. But I want to ask you a couple questions in light of this text. First how are you doing in your Christian community? When I say community, I don't mean do you have a good friend group that is Christian and you guys just do whatever you want. I'm saying, man, how deeply invested are you in your Christian community here at City Light U, in a city group? How well do people actually know you? How well do you know people? How much is your group pushing you to know God more, to fight sin in greater ways, to love and have affection for Jesus more than ever. How are you doing in community? Secondly, this verse says in here that that love binds things together, that we are called as Christians to find unity. 
So I would ask, are there any divisions, conflicts, tensions in your relationships because you're not living out of the characteristics of Christ? Because you might be prideful, because you might not be willing to forgive, because you might not be living this way, are there conflicts in your relationships? Is there tension amongst your community? And if so, which I would guess almost all of us have, would you be willing to fight for harmony, to fight for reconciliation? Would you be willing to have compassion and humility and be able to forgive? Would we fight for this? Lastly, I would ask, kind of an odd one, do you enjoy the gathering of Christians? When we come here on Tuesday nights, when you go to your city group, when you come on a Sunday morning, do you enjoy, do you look forward to this? You know, the, the gathering of Christians is, is one of the most beautiful things on earth because what we do here is we say, man, we have a united goal, we have a united mission, we have a united um, cry in Christ. We get to hear from God. We get to sing to God. We get to pray with each other. We get to, we get to exhort each other with God's word. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing. But do you kind of come begrudgingly on Tuesdays? Do you not prioritize Sundays? When things come up, do you just skip your city group? Do you actually find enjoyment in the gathering of the church? See, like you, for us, this only makes sense for us to love the gathering of the church. We are the, the heirs to the kingdom. God says that, that this is the people we will be spending eternity with, and we have a united cry. We're all protected under the blood, and we get to come and sing to our king. Verse 16 says, man, you need to come together, teach, admonish, and sing. Like, this is a beautiful thing when Christians come together and sing. Do you enjoy the gatherings of the church? And so, I'm going to invite the band up in a second. I want you guys to seriously go through some of these ideas, go through some of these questions. I want you to ask, man, is your community propelling you into a greater life in Christ? Do you find great enjoyment and hope from coming together as the body? And if not, why not? What is it in your heart, in your community? What is it that, that needs to change to grow more like Christ within the people of Christ? Because the world doesn't need the church to look the same. The world needs the church to look like Christ. They need to see Christ through His church. And if we have divisions, and if we don't gather, and if we don't praise our King, the world has no visual of the glory that God deserves. And so what I want to do is I'm going to invite the band up. If you guys want to come up now, I actually want to encourage you guys. Our staff's going to be in the back. Would you guys consider coming back and praying? I think if you're in any of these camps, if one, man, you need prayer to, to remember your identity. If you need prayer because you need to find your identity in Christ. Maybe you need prayer because these things don't mark you. Because you need to grow in Christ. But especially, I want to ask you guys, if there's any bitterness in your heart, if there's conflict, if there's divisions, if there's things that, that you're unwilling to work out with people, would you come back and would we pray for that? I want to challenge us to be a community that fights for unity, that fights for harmony, that, that says, man, we should show the world radical forgiveness, radical love, radical unity, radical togetherness as a community. So, 
So would you guys, as we sing, we're going to sing to Jesus that he has made the way possible. And would you guys come back, and we'd love to just pray. Pray through this with you and help us as a community strive towards this. So let me pray for us now. Father, may I thank you that before we were born, that before you created the, the heavens and the earth, you chose to slay your son for the forgiveness of your enemy's sins. God, for your grace. Oh, Jesus, you have allowed us to enter into life. You have given us identity. Would your praises be on our lips? May you... You're the name above all names. You're you're the name that our lives are hidden under. We have no rights in our own name. We have rights under your name. God, we don't have life under our old self. We have life through you. Would you help us as a community fight for this? Would this not become just a, a, a random talk and a random idea, but would our community begin to look differently? God, would your attributes be our attributes? Would we fight for your characteristics to be our characteristics? God, I think about, man, what would, what would our campuses, what would our dorm rooms, what would all these things look like if this defined us, God? We need your help. We need your grace. We need to know that you're the name above all names. We need to know that you are better. We need to know that your spirit can do this in us. So, Father, help us now. Help our community. Help us fight for unity. Help us fight for harmony. Help the divisions, the selfishness, the pride, the unforgiveness fade away. And would we exalt love? Would we exalt humility? But Jesus, most of all, would we exalt you? Pray these things in your name.